The Student Ministry Podcast you're about to hear is a sermon preached by Pastor Kurt Skelly at the 2010 West Coast Baptist Teen Camp. Brother Skelly is the pastor of the Harvest Baptist Church in Natrona Heights, Pennsylvania, and we hope this message will be a blessing to you. For more sermon resources, please visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. 1 Samuel chapter 16 is the chapter in which Samuel is told by the Lord to go and to anoint David to be the next king. You know that Saul had become full of pride, and Saul had sacrificed instead of obeyed, and to obey is better than sacrifice. And because of that, God said, Saul, I'm done with you. We have to understand that, that, that there is a possibility in our lives to become so stubborn and so full of pride that uh, God puts us on the proverbial shelf. We've got to remember that although a person cannot lose his salvation, a person can lose his effectiveness for Christ. That's a scary thought. And there are people that, uh, that uh, as teenagers have served God, and then uh, they get full of pride, and the rest of their lives, even though they might live to be 70, 80, 90 years of age, they never again are effective for Christ. And I meet people like that all the time. I meet people today uh, that are my age, I'm 43, I meet people today that their best days spiritually were back at times like these youth camps and and teen ministry and now for years uh, I've been out of high school now for 20 this is my 26th year out of high school and uh, I know people with whom I graduated high school that are on the shelf now that's not to say that they can't get right repent and God can use them but you know in many cases uh, people do that and they live their entire lives ineffectively Saul was a great guy Saul was a man that was humble, and his humility was one of the prime ingredients that God considered in calling him to be the first king of Israel. And yet Saul was lifted up in pride, and he never again was effective. I think you'll see Saul in heaven. I know some people argue about was Saul saved or not, and sometimes it's tough to apply a New Testament term to an Old, uh, Old Testament passage, but I believe you'll see Saul in heaven. I believe that Saul knew the Lord. Uh, I think that Saul uh, obviously had lived a troubled life and uh, evidently here uh, was put on the shelf. But God had somebody else to step in his place. And let me just say this. If you don't serve God, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's bad for you. But God will find somebody to step in your place. Sometimes we do you a disservice as teenagers when we say things like, man, you've got to serve God. Man, God needs you. And, and that's not true. That, that's just not true. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. The Bible says that if we didn't praise God, the rocks would cry out and praise God. God's going to get his praise. Guess what? It, when everything is over, God wins. He wins. Now, whether or not you want to be on the winning side and be in that victory party, that's up to you. God doesn't need you, but God loves you, and God graciously wants to use you. And so when Saul stepped out of the way, God said, okay, I've got a replacement, and his name is David. Now look at 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse uh, 6. The Bible says, and it came to pass when they were come that he, this is Samuel, looked on Eliab, this would be the oldest son of Jesse, and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. In other words, Samuel, the man of God, looked at Eliab, and he was absolutely convinced, hey, that's the guy God's going to use. And let's face it, youth pastors, youth leaders, that's what we do. 
We, we look at teenagers and we look at that kid maybe that has the talent. We look at that kid maybe that uh, is athletic. And we look at that kid maybe that does so well academically. We look at that kid that's so popular. And, and we, we point to that kid and we talk amongst ourselves and we say, surely God's going to use that kid in a great way. And what we're doing there is we're betraying the fact that we don't think the way that God thinks. We don't see the way that God sees. Because notice what happens in verse 7. The Bible says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance. No, he does look good. Or on the height of his stature. Man, he's big and broad. He certainly looks the part. Because I have refused him. For the Lord, you know this verse, the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And the Bible says about David, and I want you to finish this uh, term with me if you know it. David was a man after what? God's own heart. That's what God's looking for. God this morning is looking beyond that head of blonde hair. Looking beyond that excuse for a face. And he's looking right down inside of you. And that's what he's doing to you this morning. That's what he's looking to you and you. God's looking beyond the facade that we create. And he's looking right down at your heart. And so I want to talk to you this morning for just a couple minutes on the development of David. God is developing your life. If you have a heart for him, he wants to develop you into somebody great for him, to do great and significant things for God. How did God develop David? First of all, I want you to see David as a devoted son. I want you to see David as a devoted son. Because I'll say this, okay, that your development to be what God wants you to be begins right now. I think sometimes we erroneously think that, uh, uh, that God is going to begin to develop us after we graduate from high school. And boy, I- I've got to choose where am I going to go to Bible college and, and uh, what am I going to do with my life and what am I going to major in and who am I going to marry and uh, what's going to be my job for my life. And those are all important questions to be answered. And, and sometimes we think, well, I- I'm coming to a point in my life where I'm going to begin to prepare for my calling in life. But that's wrong thinking. No, the the simple fact of the matter is that you are right now in preparation for what God's going to do in your life. And what you do today is as vitally important as what you do five years from now. Matter of fact, I'll even say this, that what you do today is far more important in your future development than what you do five years from now. Okay? It's like the magic of compound interest. Uh, Have you ever thought, have you ever studied investments? Uh, there's, a, there's a law in investments called the law of sevens. Here's the way it works. That basically, with a moderate investment, your money will double every seven years. So if you're uh, 15 years of age, some of you are 15, and you say, okay, I'm going to take $1,000 that I, I've saved through a summer job or through my paper route or whatever the case may be. I've got $1,000. My grandmother gave me. Whatever. I've got $1,000. I'm going to take that $1,000 and pretend I don't have it. And I'm going to put that $1,000 into the market. And I'm going to expect for that to double every seven years. Now, the market has typically done better than, than that over long term. But let's just say the law of sevens applies. So that means by the time you're 22, you'll have $2,000. That means by the time you're 29, you'll have uh, uh, $4,000. By the time you're 36, you'll have $8,000. By the time you're my age, 43, you'll have $16,000. 
By the time you're 15, uh, or rather 50, rather, uh, 15, yeah, that goes backwards. Uh, by the time you're 50, you'll have $32,000. By the time you're 57, you'll have $64,000. By the time you're 64, where am I at? You'll have $128,000. By the time you're 71, that's probably be the retirement age by the time you guys get to be that age. By the time you're, you'll have a quarter of a million dollars. Not even touching the money. Taking $1,000 today, which is really not a lot of money. And putting that and forgetting about it, by the time you're 71, based upon the magic of compound interest, you'll have one quarter of a million dollars. Now let's say that you wait until you're 22 to begin that process. You'll have half that. Let's wait, even though you waited just seven years, you'll have half the money. Let's say you wait till you're 29, you're married, you have a couple kids, then you start that. You'll have one quarter of that. Even though you started only 14 years later, you'll have one quarter of the amount. You know why? Because the earlier you start, the more the investment builds. And let me just say that, that's true spiritually. The earlier you start, the greater your investment will be early on. Hey, get the victory now. Learn how to say no to pornography now. Learn how to read your Bible now. Learn how to have a prayer time now. Learn how to be a servant at home now. If you can learn these things at a young age, they will reap eternal dividends. Later on, if you learn how to be a devoted son. David was a great man. Uh, eventually, I think in part because David was a great son, a devoted son. Notice uh, David's sonship here in 1 Samuel chapter 16. First of all, I see that David was a son with inner purity. He was a son with inner purity. Now, he wasn't the biggest boy. If this family, Jesse's family, lived today, David wouldn't have been the one that was the star in the football team. He wouldn't have been the one that was the center on the basketball team. He wouldn't have been the one that uh, won most likely to succeed in the yearbook at, at, his, at his school. No, Eliab would have received those awards. Matter of fact, the Bible teaches that Jesse had such a low view of David that David wasn't even brought into the room when Samuel was going to anoint the next king. And yet the Bible says something about David that maybe Jesse had not considered. The Bible said something about David that maybe Samuel had not considered. And that was this. That was something only God could know. And that was that David was a son with inner purity. Let me ask you a question. Do you have inner purity? No, I know that you act like a Christian on the outside. But deep inside of your heart, are you pure? Is there a purity of heart? See, the Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Solomon said that. That, that means guard your heart. The Bible says, uh, search me, O God, and know my heart. Uh, the Bible talks about, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. I wonder this morning, how is your heart? Oh, I know that you're in the right place. I know that you're saying the right things. I know that you know the Baptist language. But down deep inside of you, where only you know what goes on, what's your heart like? Ezekiel talked about the chambers of their imagery. God said to Ezekiel, I want you to go look at the, the priesthood here. And I want you to see the chambers of the inner imagery. I want you to see what's going on inside their head. I wonder this morning if we can see what's going on inside your head. I wonder if we could take the thoughts that you meditate upon. I wonder if we could take the, 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 the thoughts of your heart and put them up on the screen. I wonder the images that you consider. I wonder the, the intentions that you have. If we can take all of that, like the presidential trivia we had last night, and put it up there and put your name. And put that name up there and say, okay, here's what he pictured in his mind yesterday. Here's what he thought in his heart yesterday. There it is for everyone to see. 
I think that most would be very, very embarrassed. Yet the Bible says that David was a man of inner purity. Let me encourage you this week. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. God knows your heart. Ask God to show you, you. You know, the Bible says the human heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? But then the Bible gives the answer in Jeremiah chapter 17. I, the Lord, I know the heart. I try the reins. God knows you. He knows things about you that you don't know about yourself. And if you'll ask God to show you in the mirror of the word of God to show you, you, he'll show you, you. He'll do that. And so where's your heart? David was a devoted son with inner purity. David was a devoted son who was initially passed over. Look at verse 8 of our text. David was a son, number one, with inner purity, but David, number two, was a devoted son who was initially passed over. Look at verse 8 of our text. The Bible says, Then Jesse called Abinadab, that was number two, the second oldest. He made him to pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Eliab, nope. Abinadab, nope. Look at verse 9. Then Jesse made a Shammah. I love that. He was a big, he was the big fat kid in the family named after a whale. No, no, that's Shamu. Okay, anyway. But then Jesse made Shammah to pass by, and he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. Hey, Eliab, no. Abinadab, no. Shamu, no. Look at verse 10. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen these. Jesse was just sure it has to be one of these seven. I've got eight sons, but it's got to be one of these seven. Now look at verse 11. And Samuel said unto Jesse, are here all thy children? Samuel's confused. God had sent him there. Anoint the son of Jesse. Jesse brings all his sons. Samuel said, are you sure this is everybody? And I think reluctantly, Jesse says, and, and he said, there remaineth yet the youngest, and, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. Now, now, understand, back in those days, keeping the sheep, that was the lowest job in the family. That was the lowest job a son could have. That was like, uh, you're the, he was on garbage detail. It's like, uh, uh, isn't there any other child you have? Well, yeah, you know, there's the youngest, doesn't even give his name. Yeah, there's the run to the family, and he, he's out on trash detail. And Jesse didn't think possibly that David could ever be used of God. And let me just say this. There are teenagers in this room at camp, and the adults in your life, although they're good people, hey, Jesse was a good guy. Jesse was a great man. And yet Jesse couldn't fathom that God could use David in this way. Can I say this? My stepfather is one of my heroes. Well, my dad left our family. My mother got remarried when I was 10. I hated my stepfather. I'd scream at him. I hated him. But you know what? My stepfather's one of the greatest influences in my life. I thank the Lord for him. And uh, he's become everything, uh, uh, even more than a dad to me, and I love him. But you know, when I was going off to Bible college at age 17, back in 1984, I remember my stepfather sitting down with me and saying, Kurt, why, why are you going to Bible college? An unaccredited Bible college. You're throwing your life away. He said, now, I'll help pay for your college if that's where you want to go. But I'm just telling you, I can't see in a million years uh, a God ever using you as a preacher. What are you going to do, preach? I'd never preached a message in my life. I had never had personal devotions in my life. I had never gone soul winning one time in my life. I didn't have a good Christian testimony. But there was something in my heart that God was working, and I knew that God was leading, and my own 
father looked at me and said, I can't see it. There are teenagers in this room that maybe your parents would say, I can't see you ever going on and doing something for God. Maybe you're the kid in the youth group, you've been the goof off, and you've, been the, you've been the rebel, and, and maybe even your youth pastor would say in his mind, I could never see that kid being used of God. And that's the way David was viewed here in verse 11 of chapter 16. And the Bible says that, that he's the youngest and he keeps the sheep and I can't see God using him. See, he was initially passed over. Hey, don't let anybody's view of what you're supposed to be uh, uh, that, uh, keep you from being what God wants you to be. God can see things in you that nobody else can see. And that's evident in this passage. So this devoted son was uh, a son of inner purity. He was a son that was initially passed over, but he was a son of incredible potential. Look at verse 12 of our text. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 12. Don't miss it. The Bible says, and he sent and brought him in. David probably took some time, by the way. Back in those days, the shepherd, they watched sheep. They weren't just next door. That grass had already been eaten. They probably had to go out in the wilderness somewhere. It probably took several hours. But finally, they're waiting there at the house, and finally David comes in. He doesn't know what's going on. He probably doesn't even know Samuel's there. He gets in the house. Here's all the brothers. Here's the father. The sacrifice has been made. It's some special service that's going on. The, the, the man of God is there, and the Bible says he comes in. He was ruddy, and with all of a beautiful countenance, a goodly to look to. I mean, the guy just, he was a good-looking kid. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. God always knows what his calling is for a person. God always knows what he wants, what he wants to do with a life. And uh, God said, okay, that's him. He comes in. He says, Samuel, that's the guy. Anoint him. This is he. Look at verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and uh, he poured it upon David. He anointed him in the midst of his brethren. Right there in front of all of his jealous brothers. Can you imagine that? The youngest runt kid in the family. All the big brawling brothers there. All the guys that were much, much more responsible in their father's eyes. And all the guys that were older. Right there in the midst of them. The Bible says that Samuel anointed David. Notice what the Bible says. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up. And went to Ramah. I call this a, a devoted son with incredible potential. And let me just say this. Potential is not a matter of giftedness. Potential is a matter of yieldedness. Potential is not a matter of giftedness. Potential is a matter of yieldedness. Okay? Uh, we, how do we see? How does man see? I see a kid that maybe is a good, a good at, in front of people. He can give a good speech. Man, he won the fine arts competition. What do I do? I look at that kid and say, man, he'd be a good, good preacher. I look at a kid that maybe is a, an excellent ball player and, and has great uh, influence among his peers. And I say, man, he'd be a good leader. I look at a kid that's really smart, and I say, wow, that, that guy'd be a great administrator. See, I see potential based upon what I can assess on the outside, based upon giftedness. That's never the way God sees potential. God sees potential based upon yieldedness, all right? Let me ask you a question. What if I brought in some, um, some ping golf clubs? Anybody in here golf? Any, any of you guys golf? What if I brought in some brand new custom fit ping golf clubs, okay, and put them over here? And then what if I brought in a retro set of persimmon wood golf clubs from the 1950s and put them here? 
Okay? Now, which golf clubs have more potential to shoot a lower score? Which ones? Yes, sir. Neither. Good answer. Why? Well, they're not really the same. No, these clubs are, it, it, science has proved that these clubs are much better, much, uh, the, the, you, you can hit the ball much farther, the equipment has changed the game. So you had the right answer, but that's the wrong reason. Why? Why? Yes, sir. What, who, I think you were both saying the same thing. What? Exactly, you are saying the same thing. It matters who uses them. I can take the custom fit pin golf clubs, and listen, I'll use them. And then we'll take, we'll take Phil Mickelson, and he'll take these golf clubs from the 1950s, and guess who's going to win? He's going to win, because that has nothing to do with the, with the make of the club. It has everything to do with who uses the club. And by the way, your success in life has very little to do with the talents that you have, have very little to do. Well, you say, well, I'm not as talented as the next guy. I'm not custom fit like the next guy. Hey, listen, if you're yielded to the master, God, in God's hands, you can be great for him. It's a matter of yieldedness. Hey, how was David developed? He was developed as a, de a devoted son. But then quickly, notice with me, secondly, he was devoted as a, he was developed rather as a diligent servant. Would you look at verse 14 of our text? He was a devoted son, but then quickly, notice verse 14, and we'll wrap this up here in about the next 10 minutes, but he was a, a diligent servant. Would you look at verse 14? And uh, I want you to see very carefully the specificity of Scripture here in verse 14. The Bible says, but the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. So God's Spirit, it's on David, it's not on Saul. And the Spirit of the Lord departs from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. So David, Saul's in a bad way right now. He doesn't have the peace that God's Spirit brings. He doesn't have the joy that God's Spirit brings. He's living in misery. He's living in, in troubledness of his heart and mind. He's disobeyed God. He's miserable. By, by the way, those that disobey God, those that do things their own way, they will live in misery. And so the Bible says that Saul, he's miserable. He's troubled. Look at verse 15. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants, which are before thee, to seek out a man who is a cunning player on an harp. And it shall come to pass, when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto the servants, Provide me now a man that can play well, and bring him to me. Of course, we know in verse 18 that they went and found David. I find this interesting. David was not only a devoted son. We see that at home. And by the way, at home... Your parents can tell me things about yourself that I could never know. At home, there's things that you reveal about yourself that you'd know anywhere else. I have parents to me say all the time, Pastor Skelly, you don't know my son. Pastor Skelly, you don't know my daughter. They come to church, and they're respectful to you, and they work hard in school. They've got a good attitude on the ball team. But I'll tell you what, when they get home, they turn into somebody else. So David was right at home. Are you right at home? He was a devoted son. But then he was right outside of the home. He was a diligent servant. First of all, notice that he was competent in music. Interesting. He was a diligent servant who was competent in music. Say, Pastor Skelly, is that a point? Yeah, it's a point in the Bible. When Saul needed somebody to soothe his troubled spirit, they went and found David. You know why? David was a master harpist. 
Now, the harp, I'm told, is one of the most difficult instruments to learn. I actually know a young lady that's taken harp lessons uh, for many, many years, and she's tremendous. She goes and plays at weddings for $375 an hour. I'm thinking about taking harp lessons myself. Harp. What am I saying? I'm saying that, you know, this was a, this was a young man that had some balance in his life. He was confident in music. You, you, you show me a kid that can't sing when the song leader gets up and leads a song, I'll show you a kid that's probably far from God. You show me the song service and the average youth group, hey, I'll tell you within five minutes if a group is spiritual. I'll tell you. I can, I can tell you just by their singing. You know, I loved that last night when these young men got up and sang that song. You know why? Not because they were good, but they were. They were great. Their blend was great. The quartet was great. But you know what? I wouldn't have cared if you sang in monotone. You know what I love? I love what a young man, uh, these guys are obviously athletes. These guys are obviously uh, men's men. But they got up and they sang a song. I love that. I love a guy that can say, you know what? I can, I can give my all on the ball field. I can get out there and, 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 and scrap with the best of them. But you know what? When it comes to a service, when it comes to God, I can get up in front of my peers and I can take a microphone and I can say, God, I love you through my music. That's a good thing. David was a diligent servant who was competent in music. David was a diligent servant. Uh, notice the character that he modeled. Verse 18. Not only do I see the, the competence in music, but I see the character that he modeled. Look at verse 18. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a... They're looking for a musician. But notice what they describe. I've seen Jesse. I've seen the son of Jesse. He, he's cunning in playing. Hey, I know a guy that can play the harp. But he doesn't stop there. Notice what else he says about him. He's cunning in playing. He's a mighty valiant man. He's a man of war. He's prudent in matters. He's a comely person. And the Lord is with him. Man, what a description. What is the Bible saying? The Bible saying, hey, listen, I know a guy that can play the harp, but he doesn't play the harp only. Man, he can fight. He's smart. He's good looking. He keeps himself. It doesn't mean that he's necessarily naturally good looking, but he keeps himself well, and he walks with God. Hey, that's what God's looking for. God is looking for a young person that whatever his hand finds to do, he does it with his might. And God's looking for a young person that when you're out on the ball field of competition today, you give your all. God's looking for a young person that when it's time for the service, you're all eyes. God's looking for a young person when you're in the classroom, you study hard. You don't necessarily get A's, but you give your best effort. God's looking for balance. God's looking for people that everything they do in life, they do it for God. Not with an eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart. Whatever we do, whether it's serving at home, whether it's studying for a test, whether it's on the ball field, whether it's singing in a service, whatever I do, I do it for God. That's a diligent servant. I notice his competence in music, his character that he modeled, but notice his connection to the monarch. Look at verse 20, 19 of our text. This is so interesting. The Bible says, Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David, which is with the sheep, thy son, which is with the sheep. And Jesse took an ass or a, or a donkey laden with bread. He sent some gifts in verse 20, verse 21. And David came to Saul and stood before him. And he, Saul, loved him greatly. He became his armor bearer. Hey, he wasn't just his musician now. He's his armor bearer. That was a, a, a prestigious job. Look at verse 22. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, let David, I pray thee, stand before me. He hath found favor in my sight. It came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took a harp and played with his hand. And Saul was refreshed and was well and the evil spirit departed from him. 
What happened? Here's David. No one knows who he is. He's working a little podunk job out in the backside of the wilderness as a shepherd, practicing his harp every day, writing music, writing lyrics, writing psalms. No one knows who he is. His own dad doesn't give him credit. But God knows. God knows. God knows. And he stays faithful day in and day out. God knows. He's not voted the most likely to succeed, but God knows. He's not the MVP on the ball team, but God knows. He didn't get the valedictorian award, but God knows. And there he is, David, and he he's, has character, and he works hard. And before long, God brings him to the attention of right people. Let me just say this. Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings and not before mean men. You know what? You just decide, I'm not concerned about the applause of my peers. I'm not concerned about being the most popular kid in the youth group. I am concerned about having character before God. I am concerned about living right day by day, not just in the public ways, but in the private ways. And if you'll just decide on the inside to be right with God, you'd be amazed at what God will do with your life. He'll bring you to the attention of people you never dreamed possible. Hey, here's Daniel. He's a kidnapped refugee. And God brings him to the attention of Nebuchadnezzar. Here's a little boy, just had character to pack a lunch, and God brings him to the attention of Jesus Christ. Here's a little widow, just faithfully giving her mites in the offering plate, doesn't even want anyone to see her, and Jesus sees what she's doing. And what I'm saying, uh, here's Naaman's little servant girl, and uh, she just knows that God can help her master, and God brings her to favor with him. And I'm just saying that if you'll love and serve God diligently day after day, God will use your life in a way that you never even dreamed possible. You leave the timing up to him. All right, let me give you one last point. And I'll just read this because we're done with time. David was a devoted son. David was a diligent servant. But then thirdly, David was a dedicated soldier. You know the story. The battle's set in array. The Philistines are on one side. The Israelites are on the other side. Goliath comes down every day. Give me a man to fight. Forty days he stands out there in the valley. Forty days he defies the armies of the living God. Forty days the people are shaking in their boots. Forty days they don't know what to do. Finally, Jesse, unbeknownst to uh, uh, David, he doesn't even know what's going on. He sends the lunch. And wants to know how the battle's going. And so David goes to deliver the food to the captain and to his brothers. And David arrives. And David hears the champion, Goliath. He hears the venomous words against uh, the Lord and against the Lord's people. And David becomes incensed. Skip all the way down to chapter 17 and verse 28. The people tell David what's going on. This dedicated soldier. And in verse 28, Eliab. I think Eliab is still jealous that David's been anointed. I think Eliab is is still stung by the rebuke of being rejected by Samuel. And the Bible says here in verse 28, And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. He said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. Mm. So Eliab says, David, I know your heart. Well, God already told us that God knew his heart. And now Eliab, in his anger, in his jealousy, in his snub for not being the next king of Israel, he looks at David and says, you're full of pride, and I know your heart. I know the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. See, if you're going to live for God, if you're going to be developed as a David, then you're going to have to endure your peers' 
vindictiveness. You're going to have to learn to endure your peers' vindictiveness. Let me just say this, and I, I could spend a whole lot more time on this point, but we're out of time. Let me just say this, that many times when teenagers make great decisions at camp, the greatest enemy you'll face is not the unsaved kid back home. It's not the worldly crowd out there that's already bent against the will of God. No, many times... The greatest enemy you'll face in making good decisions for God are other people that sat in this camp that don't like what you're doing. They don't like the stand you're taking. You know why? Because your stand for God, Travis, makes them look bad. And David's stand for God, his willingness to do something about it, it made Eliab look bad. And Eliab, instead of submitting to the fact that God had anointed him, Eliab began to assign bad motives and was vindictive against his own brother. It's like Mary, when she broke that alabaster box of ointment, the disciples said, hey, that was a waste. And I can guarantee you, some of you will give your lives to God this week and say, God, use me in whatever way you want. And there'll be other so-called Christian brethren that will say to you, hey, that was a waste. What they're doing really is guarding their own mediocrity. See, he endured his peers' vindictiveness. Number two, he was encouraged by his private victories. How did David stand up to a brother that uh, accused him? Because he was encouraged by his private victories. Look at verse 34. He's speaking to Saul. Saul is dubious about the fact that David can go out and fight. And David's trying to convince Saul. The Bible says that David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there, was a, there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him and, and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Hey, that's a man. Hey, David, what gives, you the, what gives you the notion that you can go against this giant and beat him up? I'll tell you what gives me the notion, Saul. I was out in the wilderness, and I fought a lion, and I fought a bear, and I won. Now, who knew about that? Only David. David was the only one that was there. And so if David were lying, then only David would know. But David obviously is not lying because David's saying, listen, if God could give me the strength to win the private victory, that now that I'm on a public showcase, I can win the victory too. You know why so many teenagers fall in the public arena? Because you don't have any private victories. You know why so many teenagers fall to peer pressure? Because you never have any private victories. Let me, let me ask you a question. What's the last sin that you gave up? What's the last habit you used to have that you don't have anymore? What's the last victory you want in your spiritual life? And then you wonder why you have a hard time standing for God in your youth group. Then you, have a, uh, you wonder why you have a hard time separating from a carnal friend. You win no private victories. You entertain no hopes of any public victories. All right, number three and lastly. He endured his peers' vindictiveness. He was encouraged by his private victories, but notice he engaged a powerful villain. I'm not going to read the text. You know it. David slew Goliath. You know the whole story. You've heard a million messages about it. But here's the point I want to bring out. The Eliabs of the world, they look good now, but their real character is revealed later. The Davids of this world don't necessarily look good now, but their real character is revealed later. Let me ask you a question. In 10 years, who are you going to be? You're going to be who you're becoming. In 20 years, where are you going to be? 
I'll tell you we're going to be. You're going to be exactly where you're planning to be today. Hey, in 25 years, what you're going to look like? I'm going to tell you what. The exact seed you plant today, it's going to grow up and become something in your life. What are you being developed to be right now? Be right at home. Be a devoted son. Be right in church and school. Be a diligent servant. And then one day, when the big battle comes, and it's going to come, it's going to come, the huge battle. Be a dedicated soldier who's won the private victory, and God will lead you every step of the way. Thank you for listening to this Student Ministry 127 podcast. For more sermon resources, visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. And for information about West Coast Baptist College, visit wcbc.edu.